Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Christian Church. We're so glad you joined us this morning. We're so blessed to have you. Um, as we prepare to go into the sermon here, I would like to say that uh, we're going to be taking a break from our series in the book of Acts. If you're just joining us for the first time this morning, um, you'll know, you wouldn't know that back in January, we started a journey through the book of Acts as we um, go verse by verse, uh, expositing uh, this incredible historical account of the, the start of the, the church <clears throat> and the first evangelical missions into the world. But this morning, we're going to be taking a break because we're going to be looking at something And, and so I have a question for you. Does how we worship matter? Let me, let me tell you a, a, a little story here. There was once a, this very strong minister, a minister of God, uh, of God's word, and he had two sons and he loved his sons. This father just, just adored his sons. And he was, he was filled with great pride when not only one of his sons, but both of his sons chose to follow in his footsteps and go into ministry. And on the particular morning uh, where they would, were going to be ordained, the father was, was I'm sure, overcome with, with pride. And as he was watching the ordination of his two sons, the young men, they had such a zeal for their, their work. And in that zeal, they decided to add a little something different to the worship that morning. But what happened was not what they had planned. Not only did their, their addition to worship not please God, but God showed his disapproval by killing both young men on the spot. Now you say, but when did this happen? Why? Who? Who was this? Well, turn to Leviticus 10. You see, these were the two sons of Aaron, Moses' right-hand man. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You see, today the prevailing thought on worship is any practice of worship is okay as long as you're in a building which calls itself a church or around people who call themselves Christians. There's pastors who mix the word of God wrapped in a package of secular entertainment and secular concepts. You'd merely have to walk across the street to have heard a sermon on Easter Sunday in which select scriptures were tied into the latest Avengers movie with the Avengers movie used to make the scriptures comprehensive and relatable. There's a church in Florida which presents Star Wars Church where everyone is dressed 
as characters from Star Wars and the Bible is related to the movie. How sad is this? Now these practices, they sound bizarre to some, but how different are they than people dressing as biblical characters and acting out what they believed happened the night of Christ's birth or the day of the crucifixion? And that's the totality of their worship service. Now, I'm not saying nativity plays and Easter plays are bad, but should they be the focus of what is called a worship service? Because is it worship? You see, we don't get to define what worship is. God defines what worship is, and he defines it in his word. And these can be very difficult waters to navigate because, as we see in Scripture, God is very serious about his people getting worship right and how they present themselves and their practices of what he deems holy before the Lord. As individuals, we can we also display very little regard for how we present ourselves before God in worship in our, in our personal worship. Look at Romans 12.1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're to present ourselves as living sacrifices before a righteous and holy God. In the Old Testament, the priest uh, would, would go once a year into the, the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice. And they would tie a rope around his ankle. So when he went back to the Holy of Holies, if the sacrifice he presented or him himself was unworthy, God would strike him dead. And the rope was used so they could pull him out so he didn't have to sit in there for a year. So the body wasn't just laying in there. We're presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. We sacrifice the things of our natural self, our secular inclinations, our worldly aspirations, and effort to be acceptable to God. This is lost today in our worship. Because now, this, the model of, of our churches of not getting worship right has affected the individual practices of so many. And so when worship is not focused on the very character and nature of God, it causes issue in our worship and our view of God. In our culture, especially our American culture, we have very little regard for anyone being sovereign over us. We really don't like authority of any sort. We're a, we're a free people. We're told that from a very young age. And so this view that no one tells me how to live or what to do permeates in everything in our life, and it even permeates in how we view God. And so in our culture today, we have lowered our view of God. We fashioned a God who takes our, our opinions and our desires into consideration, who, who appeases our needs and desires, a God who is less our sovereign Lord and more our friend. He's our buddy. He doesn't rule us. He hangs out with us. I've actually heard people in an attempt to sound relevant say things like, I go to church to hang out with God. What? You do not hang out with God. You humbly worship and exalt God. I hope you don't do that with people you hang out with. It would be a very odd relationship. 
See, when people have a wrong view of God, they fashion their own God. They believe it to be a, the Christian God, and they give him many of the same characteristics or the ones they understand of the real God, but their desire is to make him closer to them. They want someone who's going to agree with them and share their opinions and view things from their worldly mind or, or their mind the way they view things. It's someone they would want to hang out with. And that's a false God. That's an idol. And when it comes to idols, God is very clear. Only he himself, the right God, he is worthy of worship. The very first command of the commandments of the, the Ten Commandments is what? Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, listen, many people see this term before me and they wrongly think that it means you should not place a God above God. You should not place an idol above God. It's not what this means. The Ten Commandments were written to God's people, the Israelites. It was, it was written to people who worshipped God. They knew God. They were called out by God. These were believers. So believers, God's people, as far as God is concerned, would never place a God above him. That would They would not be believers then. And then the Ten Commandments, why would he present the Ten Commandments to non-believers? Because they wouldn't hold to them anyway. Now, this was to believers. This was to his people. And the very first commandment is telling believers is you shall worship no other God in my presence before me. You are to worship no other God in God's presence. You are to have no idol in God's presence. And God's presence is everywhere. A true believer would never, ever place another God above God. But they could worship something else in his presence. Money, possessions, people, or even a God that they have fashioned for themselves that they may wrongly believe to be the God of scriptures. So their worship cannot be right because they do not have a right view of who God is. For our worship to be right, we have to first have a clear understanding of whom God is. On the flip side of that, we've not only uh, had, do we have a wrong view today in our culture and in many of our churches of who God is, but we also have a wrong view of who, who we are. And we elevate ourselves to be more than what we are. Look at 2 Samuel 6, 5 through 7. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Now look what happens here in verse 6. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, they were transporting the ark of the covenant by wagon. Even though back in Exodus, we see God commanded the ark of the covenant by to be carried by shoulder. So that was their first mistake. But when the oxen stumbled and the ark began to fall from the wagon, Uzzah grabbed it from falling, acting as if his own sinful hands were any cleaner than that floor or that ground. And no one could touch the ark of the covenant. And Uzzah's death is a stark reminder that no one should expect to approach God irreverently and hope to survive. Yet so many people weekly come into worship of God with no regard for the fact that they are going to worship pure holiness and pure righteousness 
We've lost our awe of God. We've lost our fear of the Lord, fear of how majestic he is. And, and us in our unworthiness should be struck down by his holiness and magnificence. I've, I've heard this scenario play out so many times where people say, I can't go to church. I shouldn't go to church because my, my life's not right. I'm not worthy yet to go to church or, or my life's not. And in our culture today, in our God's my friend, God's my buddy culture, the Christians or the so-called Christians would approach these people and say, no, God, God just, he just wants to meet you where you are. He wants you just how you are. No, that's not true. And the person who is standing there saying how unworthy they are to come to worship because of their life, we should acknowledge that. It's great that they recognize how unworthy they are to even worship God because none of us are worthy to worship God. More people in our church need to recognize that. Secondly, a better response to someone who says this would be, you're so right, and I'm not worthy either. And no one sitting in church today is worthy. But that's why we needed Jesus Christ. That was through, by the grace of God, his son came and went to the cross to impart righteousness on us so that we could stand before a holy and righteous God and worship him. See, that's a great open door to present the gospel, not an open door to tell them that their life's okay, that everything's going to be all right, that they can just stay how they are. Secondly, today, no one fully understands the importance of worship, and not only on Sundays. We've mistakenly called Sunday the day of worship. Every day is a day of worship. What happened is we relegated worship to one day, and then we slowly began taking that day away. And here's the problem. For most people in this area, their worship of God has become something they try to schedule everything else, or, or they try to schedule around the things they really want to do. It's just another thing on their schedule that they try to schedule around what they really want to do. Instead of our days being scheduled around our worship, we should be scheduling our day around our worship of God. Are we taking time each day to be in worship before God, or do we only do that at our convenience? So we have people with little understanding of God in the church, as well as people with little understanding of the, the importance of worship. And churches which have reinforced this mindset of worship by being more entertainment focused rather than actual worship focused. They're more, they're more worried about getting a butt every few inches in seats than they are about being righteous. They're more about being relevant than they are about being righteous. They are more about trying to entertain people to get people in the door than they are about being in right worship. You see, you can get as many people in the door and you can pack a church as, fill as, as filled as you want to, uh, butts in every seat in that, and they're hanging from the rafters. But if your worship's not right, you're not worshiping God. So they're there for no reason. It's pointless. You don't have a congregation there to worship God. You just have a group of people there hanging out. 
So we have a people who really by practice are no longer part of the faith because if you're not worshiping correctly, you're not worshiping God. You've left the range. So what is right worship? Well, let's, well, let's look at our text today. I want you to turn with me to John 4, starting with verse 19. Now, I want to contextualize this because Jesus has gone to a well and he's speaking to a Samaritan woman, which in and of itself seemed seemed out of place because the Jews would not interact with the Samaritans. And so there, Jesus and this woman at the well are having this interaction. And the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you, you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, right there in verse 19 to 20, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. The woman was asking about location of worship that were very specific for the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews' central sanctuary was in Jerusalem. During festivals, Jews would come from all over to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans had their own central sanctuary on Mount Gerizim. And the, 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 the Samaritan woman was asking, who is worshiping in the right spot? Jesus goes a whole different direction, verses 21 through 22. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus was rebuking the Samaritans' departure from the Jewish faith. The Samaritans were part of the Jews, but they had intermingled with pagans, and in doing so, they had created a kit-bashed worship of pagan practice with Jewish worship. Similar to today, where so many churches attempt to, to combine secular culture with Christian worship. You know, like trying to combine an Avengers movie with worship and the scriptures. We're trying to combine Star Wars with worship in the scripture. Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, you worship what you do not know. And he tells her, you, do, you don't know what you're doing in worship. Their worship was rooted in falsehood. That's what much of our worship today is rooted in. In our lives, worship is merely something to shuffle on the calendar. In our churches, it's more about entertainment and being relative. And in both, we have fashioned a God for ourselves around us that suits us because today we have turned worship about us. People go to church and they sit there and they, they want what's in it for them, what is in it for me. I go to church to, to make me feel a certain way. I want it to, to do something for me. We've turned it about us. Worship is always directed at, pointed to, and for exalting God. It's about God and it's for God and our praise and worship is to God. It's not about us. So Jesus is telling those who practice this combined intermeshing of culture and Christianity that they do not even know what they worship. If you want to know how relevant this is today, go to any of the it churches in your area. 
and you know what churches they are. They're the churches where, you know, all the it people go to in town, all the, the, the doctors, the lawyers, the, the, the whoever, the movers and the shakers, and everybody, when they talk about going to that church, they, they say it like they're boasting, like, I go to such and such church, and, and like, it's, it's better than... As the majority of the congregants in that church who or what or why they worship and what they believe. And the majority would struggle answering these questions. And most of them from the same church would give you different answers because there's so much confusion in churches today amongst the people in the church. Most don't know what they worship, why they worship, what their church even believes. They have no understanding of the theology of their church. They have no understanding of their own theology because they don't understand any of that. They're going to church for them, for how they feel. They've made it about them, and they've fashioned for themselves a God that, that is a, more closely to them than a God who's worthy of praise and worship. They don't know how to worship because they don't know who they worship. But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. Jesus lets us know what right worship is. Look at verse 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Look at that last, that last line of verse 23. For, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Jesus lets us know that God is seeking worshipers. Notice worshipers are not seeking God. He is seeking them. He knows who they are. He's calling them out. What type of worshiper is he seeking? True worshipers. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He's seeking true worshipers. The, true, the word true indicates there is false worship then. Because if something is true, it means something else must be false. So what is the criteria to determine false or wrong worship from true worship? Jesus gives us that criteria right here in this verse. Worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Jesus is saying God wants worshipers who will worship him correctly, who honor him as God, who put aside everything else and worship him the way he commands that he be worshiped in spirit and truth. By the way, that's an obligation. We are obligated as believers to worship him in spirit and truth. So what does the, it mean? What does it mean, spirit and truth? Well, first, let's look at the spirit aspect of this. Remember the woman asked a location question. Where should we worship God, the Jerusalem or the mountain? She's asking Jesus, where should we worship God, the Jerusalem or the mountain? The woman is assuming God can only be worshiped in one or the other, if at Jerusalem, then not on the mountain, and vice versa. And Jesus shatters that limitation. God is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere. We're not restricted to one particular place. But Jesus was also making a very significant point, and that involved a, a, a problem uh, 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 Israel faced in the Old Testament. You see, the prophets testified that the people showed up physically for worship and they would go through the rituals, but the spirit, their spirits were elsewhere. They were just going through the motions. They were just showing up to worship, but, but they weren't there. They were just there in body. Look at, look at Isaiah 29, 13. 
And the Lord said, because this people, be, Lord, be, the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Worship had fallen into externalism, just outward activity. And that's what the church in America looks like today. Physically, people are going because they feel like they're obligated or it's a social thing or it makes them feel good or all sorts of reasons, but they're only there in body. So Jesus is saying, I want people, when they come to worship me, they come with their spirit, heart, and mind fully engaged with worship. Right worship to God is not given begrudgingly or or forced, or it's not given out of obligation. Right worship is motivated by a soul that delights and desires to be in the presence of God. Minds fully engaged to hear the word, hearts bursting to exalt the Father, joy and excitement to be in worship of God. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, I love what it says here. It says that worship services should contain the sound preaching of the word of God, and also the conscientious or diligent hearing of the word of God. So there's the sound preaching of the word of God and diligent hearing of the word of God. So worship, right worship, should involve the preaching of the word and people there desiring to hear the word. A true worshiper is one whose heart is engaged in the entire experience of worship, singing, praying, the sermon, all of it. That's a spirit of worship. But we also worship in truth. Because it said spirit and truth. And so today's culture, the problem is today's culture believes truth is not as important as it once was. And so today's Today's church emphasizes fellowship and emotional experience over truth. It emphasizes emotional experience and fellowship and relationship over actual scriptural and biblical truth. But truth here means getting at whom God really is. Look at John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can anyone say they love God but not care about the truth? Today's modern culturally seeking church leaders say things like doctrine divides. Of course doctrine divides. But it also unites, and it unites those who love God's truth, and they are willing to worship him according to that truth. Right worship that God wants is someone worshiping him from the heart and from the mind that is informed of who he is by his word. Is that us? Are we worshiping God in spirit and truth? Or are we going through the motions and we have little concern with who God truly is, but would rather hold to a false God who, whom we created, who allows our worship on our terms. You see, only God is worthy to be worshiped and he gets to determine how he is worshiped. And it's not about entertainment and it's not about social aspects and it's not about prestige because it's not about us. 
right worship is about God. And only those who worship him with all their spirit and to know his truth can claim right worship. Can you? Let's pray.